Welcome to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin, currently from Helsinki. And enjoy the music. Welcome back to episode number four. I am beyond excited because this is the first guest episode. Um, but first things first, I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. <laughs> so yeah, first guest episode, super excited. And to be honest, I couldn't have been or couldn't have been more grateful and happy to have Timothy as my first guest on this show. And yeah, we met around two months ago during my travels in Australia when I was in Byron Bay. We got introduced by a common friend. And yeah, it was, I think the moment we met, I think we both felt this deep appreciation for each other, this deep respect and this deep friendship, which, you know, sometimes you meet people in life and Sometimes you just, a friendship needs to be just discovered. And it was just always there. And uh, we, yeah, we're very grateful that we have met. <clears throat> and why, you know, why Timothy? Timothy is, um, yeah, he's now in his uh, 60s and he's an artist and creator and, yeah, just a beautiful soul. And his life story is just so inspiring. So he grew up in Minnesota in the United States on a family farm And it's just so remarkable to listen to his life story as he, you know, how he, from a very early age, kind of like knew, I had a feeling or understanding or just like this quest to understand what is his purpose in his life? What, what is he doing here? And like how he found, yeah, where this question kind of like led him to and also like ultimately now to Australia and all the things he has tried and the, the, the experiences he has lived It's so remarkable. It's truly an unreasonable life. Uh, so beyond the linear path that we often encounter in life. And yeah, for me, it's so inspiring to share stories like this, especially from people who have, you know, seen so such a different world than we have. For example, I'm 33 and I have no idea how the 60s, 70s, 80s were and like, It's just beautiful to listen to such people because there's so much to learn, so much to uncover. And yeah, and how the format normally goes, I ask the guests before the show to do a Lumi check-in and also prepare questions they have for me so they can, during the show, at any time, throw kind of like a choker card and um, throw a question and ask a question, ask, ask me a question. And at the very end, I would love to them to share something about their work. So at the very end, Timothy will read two of his beautiful poems and they're just so worth listening to. And you'll see our conversations are, it's like playing chess. You will never know where we end up. And even though I promised him, I would try my best to keep a direction. You'll notice we trail off and that's fine. It's improvisation because there's so many rabbit holes we discover and then we want to together kind of like explore and um yeah 
And also at the very end, we're going to do a Lumi check-in together and talk about our Lumi scores. And before we get started, I just wanted to say huge thank you to all the feedback and responses I've received last week. It's always so heartwarming when people write me that they listen to an episode, for example, and they give me feedback and we talk about it. It's beautiful. Um, also, thank you to everyone who rated the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. And if you want to support the podcast, yeah, rate it, give it a rating, share it. But most importantly, keep enjoying it. As long as you enjoy what you're hearing, as long as you want to come back to hear more, this is everything I need to keep going. So thank you so much. So, but without further ado, please enjoy the very first guest episode with my dear friend, Timothy. Here we go. Welcome, Timothy. I'm so excited to have you as my very first guest on my show. Um, yeah, welcome. Hi, how are you doing? I am good. I'm so honored to be on this show with you, especially to do the first one. <laughs> and from Helsinki. How yeah. good is that? How good is that? And um, just as a context for listeners, where are you located right now? I'm on the property that I've been for the last 23 years. It's on the east coast of Australia, about a half an hour drive from Byron Bay, which is the easterly most point uh, in Australia. Wow, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, I mean, um, would you maybe like to share how we have met? Ah, yes. Um, well, we met through a mutual friend, Kyra, naturopath. She has been coming to my creative art classes. And I met her through another mutual friend, Chad. Um, and then we became very, very close friends. And she, at some point, started to speak to me about another dear friend of hers, you and that you were coming. And she said, you two just have to meet. And I really got excited because of your background as well. And that's that's how it happened. That's what I can remember. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, um, for me, I still remember the first evening we were invited to your beautiful home. And uh, I drove with uh, Cairo in this large camper van to your house. And it was like quite you know, like hidden inwards into the land. And I remember it was quite dark. And as we approached your house, it was like this, like it was dark. I couldn't really see the, the, the whole, all the surroundings, but then just your property and your house, there was so much, it was just so beautiful. There was so much love dedicated. You could really feel it. And of course I noticed your red wing shoes um, you yeah. had as well. <laughs> and this is what I, when I remember the first evening we met, Sometimes you have this feeling, you meet people and you feel like, wow, there's like in an instant a feeling for a deep appreciation, respect for each other and friendship. And that's what I felt meeting you. I felt the same. One of those instant family friends that bypasses time and location. So yet only takes about three minutes to become old, dear friends. Absolutely. And as you know, 
the theme of this podcast is the unreasonable art of living. And, you know, for me, this is something what's for you unreasonable or for someone else unreasonable looking at someone else's life might be for, you, for, for yourself the most reasonable thing to do. And when you told me about your life journey, I found it so fascinating and so inspiring. Um, and let's maybe start with your life journey. Like, um, where did you grow up? How did you end up in Australia? And um, what was your whole, how did your whole journey started? And when did you actually realize at what age that there was something you want to discover? Oh, you know, when you get as old as I do, it's a huge chapter. If I would talk when I was 30, it would be much easier. But I have so many different chapters coming up to 69 years old. Um, I grew up on a family farm in Minnesota, which borders Canada and the U.S. And I was the fourth generation on the farm. I had three brothers. Most of my relatives were farmers. So they were people of the land. And I was at that certain, well, 69. I think there's the thing I think beautiful about that is I bridge the older way of living that went on for hundreds of years. What I mean is people that farmed with horses, people that worked off the land, that had diversified farms. Um, before, before electricity, my grandparents... They didn't, they didn't grow up with electricity till they were, you know, in their 20s or 30s. I think even when my father, maybe when he was a boy, there still wasn't electricity. I'd have to look at that. But my father remembers farming with draft horses uh, when he was young. And my grandfather hated tractors. And he he had a small tractor, but until he retired in the 60s, He preferred a draft horse team. And and I really love that connection to manual labor, to interaction with animals. There, you know, there wasn't these big multinational companies. Now in America, it, you don't see many diversified farms. It's big, big farms, hundreds of cows or a thousand even, or just one or two crops they planted. When I was a child, you know, it was oats and wheat and alfalfa or lucerne and um, crop rotation and all those things. So that's where I started my life. And it was lots of country and creeks and lakes everywhere because it was glacier, glaciers had come through. Wow. So on the li license plates of Minnesota, it's It says land of 10,000 lakes, but it's even more. <laughs> so we lived around water, even though it's, you know, central U.S. Um, but at some point, let's see, a big event was I had nephritis at three, three years old. I had a 50-50% chance of living, went to a children's hospital. And that that was major, I remember. That was something shifted really mm. big then. Um, and I, I didn't so much connect with institutionalized religion, though my family were churchgoers, Christians. Um, my connection was really through the animals, the living, the dying, 
of the animals, the rotation of the, the seasons with the crops, the harvest, the mystery of life. One of my first memories was holding a bird in my arms and watch, experiencing the death of it and the eyes glazing over and just being stunned by the mystery of the soul leaving. Um, that was really a deep spiritual wow. awakening yeah. for me from that. Though I did have a strong connection with Christ you know, when I'd read in the Bible the stories, mm -hmm. but not so much through the institution. Um, and I find now as I get older that the, the seeds of our adult life are germinated when we're uh, children. Mm -hmm. So I can look back to those early years and find indicators of where I'm going with my life, where I would go, whether it's art, spirituality, the love of nature, all those things were already there, but I was very confused about where my life would go. Wow. I'm just like, yeah, just like a, a little context. So I think how I met you and because you said the seeds were kind of like laid already in early childhood. So nowadays you are, you're writing poetry, you have beautiful paintings, you're connect, you try to connect, communicate this interconnectedness of nature and I think spiritual wisdom through your art, what I have seen. Um, would you say that's, that's, that's correct or would you add something to it? No, I would, I would say that's correct. I, art to me is... Um... I think of a scientist, actually. I was just reading a book today I got um, by Ian Gilchrist. Uh, and it's a fantastic book. And, and um, I can't remember how I got there. <laughs> I lost it. Um, so science... Oh, I think he was talking about religion, actually. That's right. That we often think of religion and science as being separate. Mm -hmm. That they're in contrast with each other. And he was saying that is not true. If you look at the early, uh, many of the Western scientists, they were heavily spiritual people. And mm -hmm. oftentimes with the institutionalized religion, Isaac Newton, um, some of those people were heavily involved in spirituality and that the church actually endorsed, they sponsored scientists mm -hmm. in terms of the cosmos exploration, all those other things. Um, it's just that we have a kind of a slanted view on it nowadays. But even Einstein, he was, he was deeply moved by spirituality. Mm -hmm. He didn't separate it from science, having standing in awe before the mystery of life. This is so beautiful that you actually mentioned this because the other day I talked with a dear friend about Anton Zeilinger. He is the latest Nobel Prize winner in physics. And he was he and his team, they were able to validate the um, entanglement experiment in the quantum quantum physics world. And we don't have to go into this experiment now. It's, a, it's fascinating, quantum phys physics in general. But he, uh, when he was asked if he's a spiritual person, if like he believes in God, and he said, yes, he does. And I think that's so beautiful to hear because he acknowledged there is a space for science and God or spirituality and just each of these realms need to know where their boundaries are. 
that was his kind of like reflection on it. And I think, um, yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful that you mentioned this. I think the big difference is for some of those scientists, it is for me, in that in the exploration of the unknown, I I believe people that are more spiritually orientated or even religiously, they acknowledge the intelligence of of the mystery. Mm -hmm. It's it's just not an ob object. It's actually intelligent. We we'll call it God or the source or whatever. It's something we communi can communicate with. Absolutely, and I think that is what I think. The, what I talked in one of my episodes where, unfortunately, the church, as we know, the institution, did unfortunately a very bad job in stigmatizing the word God. Like, if many people think about God, yeah. they think about a person personified, you know, Jesus Christ or whatever. But it does actually doesn't do justice what it really means. And God can be mean. Yeah, as you said, it's like an, could be more like an universal intelligence. And I think that's a much more beautiful way to look at it. I have a question for you. Yes. We're getting off on a tangent already. <laughs> But since we're here now in this, in this theme, my question is, if you had a choice, would you prefer that humans, people would come from a creationalist standpoint, meaning there was a god or a goddess or some intelligence, and we were created in that intelligent likeness. It doesn't have to be physically exact, but we were born as a conscious, intelligent being, or the evolutionary side, which some people take, in that maybe we came from amoebas and over millions of years, we slowly matured, if one wants to say it's an advancement, we slowly matured <laughs> into humans the way we are today. Mm. Would like, mm -hmm. like erase any of your conditioning? Which one would you prefer? So knowing like also like, I think also the heavy, the heavy labeling that is attached to creationists and also like, removing also labeling on thinking about evolutionary. I think both, like I do, I do believe that um, all life originated from this beautiful Big Bang. What we do now see is kind of like there's a, this moving direction. Like there's like, so there's this Big Bang originating and coming back to the question, is everything, how do you say, do we have a free will or not? So I'm going to now go in a rabbit hole here. It's a beautiful question, actually. What I think is, since the Big Bang, we kind of know the direction of particles and everything that has been triggered. And there's clearly, I think, um, how do you say? I can't believe there's like, complete randomness in what we do because in a sense even now with the latest development of ai and like where just our society and the world is heading to there's a direction for us being able to create more in a sense as we are the manifestation of all right our place in this world is to create more be it life or other forms of creation 
don't know if like uh, if I'm I'm clear about that. Do I want to? Do I see that we are like a resemblance of something? I'm not sure. I believe there's like a a universal force that moves us in a direction, and if we can actually that w what I think most philosophical institutions or bodies are trying to tell us to live in accordance with nature and to live in accordance with nature is to kind of like surrender to this natural flow of life and what is this flow this flow is a somewhat a direction and where does this direction come from well that's a good question i think yeah where does electricity come yes. from or where yeah that ultimate mystery i think and uh so I think it's very important to kind of like when when we talk about like, all right, I think they don't actually contradict each other. I think evolution and creation, I mean, they go hand in hand. If you look, if you zoom out yeah. the millions of years we have been on this planet or human the human race for 200,000 years, if you, if, you, if you zoom out on a macro level and you would kind of like make a snapshot of every year of this 200,000 years and then you just like, speed them up these 200,000 frames if one frame is one year you would see a beautiful movie of creation because that's what we do and then if you zoom out more and you look at this if you would if you watch this video you would say like wow there's an organism an intelligence at hand and it's us and nature all we do on this world we come to this life either we create life this biological life or we create life in other other means, be it art, poetry, new technology. And I think that's what, when we talk about Buddha and many other spiritual institutions that we all connected, that even a stone, in a sense, is life. Yes. Mm, nice. I don't know what I would say to that question. <laughs> um, I... I mean, there's a part of me that says, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm just here. This is where I'm at. And and yet, and yet there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful about both sides. Mm -hmm. um, that we're connected to the chain of all life to the beginning. But they're too big a questions it's it nobody really knows i mean ultimately we may never know until we go after we die that's another subject what happens <laughs> and um i have certain feelings about it but i won't know until it happens yeah, and i think yeah that's very well said i think for me this is not yeah you know that's the danger of like creating camps so to say like this is a question like do we really need to know right now huh. or can we focus on the life at present and that means what do we do right now what is the flow where can we link into this flow and kind of like contribute to this collective intelligence wherever it moves to hmm. and this question my question is like does it really help me to be part of this world Yeah. Do I need to know the answer? That's my yeah. I think yeah, what, what you said, maybe you're maybe maybe you don't care. Yeah. 
I mean, I do care and I don't care. <laughs> I just think every day is funny because exactly. I, I mean, I'm curious about all of these things. I'm curious in what's happening with current politics, mm -hmm. um, the future of humanity, um, the workings of biology, all those things. And then when I go to sleep at night, you know, I could care less for, you know, <laughs> we just giggle when we go to sleep and we forget everything and we may never wake up again and we don't really even care. Absolutely. At that point. And I think, um, yeah, so one, okay, now we have to, because I would love to go back to your childhood, <laughs> your teenage oh, yes. years. Yes. <laughs> so just for, for the listeners, so this this is basically how Timothy's and our conversations normally go. We It's very much about jazz and improvisation. We never know where we end up with. But I promised him and I promised to myself I will try to have some form of direction because I would love to, I love your, his, like your, especially your childhood and teenage years because you knew quite early ah. in your life about this inner, I would say your inner calling almost, a purpose. And uh, could you explain more how this kind of like, how it has developed in your early childhood up until your teenage years? I think there was one beautiful question moment i will remind you later but i would like to you know you open up yeah i was actually thinking about that today of events that shaped my life like in childhood um i i remember one book we read in grade school i think or junior high called the red pony Who was that author, famous American author? But it, it talked about a pony that the child loved and it died. So there were events on the farm. I remember, too, we had dogs that I fell in love with, and they both had tragic endings. And I still remember the day that I found out about one. And I know the place in front of the farmhouse, and I said to myself, I will never love another thing again. Oh, wow. Because of that deep grief from losing something. And on the farm, you know, there were always things dying and being born. So that had a profound effect on me, I, I believe, on the growing up on a family farm. But at some point, I became somewhat depressed. Mm -hmm. I didn't connect much with... I, did, I wasn't into activities in school i spent a lot of the time my time in the woods exploring um in nature and it was as if my future i couldn't see it mm -hmm. and so because i didn't understand why i was confused there was no place to go because it was uh it was in the midwest It was Christianity. I didn't really know any fine artists around at all. I didn't have any art classes in school. And so there was this deep yearning for something, but I didn't know what it was. So eventually I just had to go. And I was a rebel, for sure. <laughs> The first year out of high school, I um, was into motorcycles. I had a Harley Davidson. I was a mechanic for a Harley for a while. That was kind of my escape. In the olden days, you'd take a horse and ride off into the sunset. <laughs> Mine was a motorcycle. 
Then I remember seeing a film. Now, during my life, there have been landmark films that have kind of been sent from the future showing me what was to come. Mm-hmm. There may be something. I mean, when I, I know a good friend who had a near-death experience, Anita Morjani, and she told me that in that realm, past, present, and future are ha- happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So you see your future ready. It's mind-bending. But sometimes I feel the future is sending signals. I mean, when I studied shamanism, that's one thing we did was was being taught to go into the dream time to find out some of the answers to save humanity now as society's fracturing. So some of these movies were important. One was Jeremiah Johnson. Mm -hmm. It was an early Robert Redford film Mm -hmm. in the mountains. That had a profound effect on me. And eventually I did go west. I think when I was 19 or 20, I moved from central U.S. to the Rocky Mountains and wanted to be a a mountain man and um, living in the mountains away from people and society and all of that. So then I had a few years of uh, packing horses in the mountains, um, working for big game outfitters, raw Idaho bears, mountain lions, really wild country. And I love that. Um, I'm going to go quickly on it because otherwise we could spend an hour (laughs) in each chapter. And then I finally got involved in the arts. And I was in my early 20s because I never had an art class. When I was in grade school, people said I was the artist, but I, we didn't have any art classes. I love to draw. And um, one of my first art classes at the university, my teacher was grew up in Holland, and, he, and I took a life drawing class, nudes. I mean, it's one of the <laughs> hardest things to draw. And I, that was my first real art class. He told us to go to the library and get a couple books. And one was Michelangelo and one was Van Gogh. Wow. And I'd never heard, never heard of them before. And I remember what a revelation it was. And that really started me into the fine arts then. Mm-hmm. And finally got a degree, uh, bachelor of fine art degrees in that. And then, um, then I spent three years in Buddhism and in, in India. Wow. And, um, wanted to get to the source of my creativity and then when I did come back after three years, I took a couple of years studying dance and theater. I wanted to go into experimental theater as well. Um, so all during that time, I also worked in the summers for money for the U.S., the United States Forest Service. So they um, they are in charge of a lot of the western U.S., well, all through the U.S., but the mountain lands in the U.S. are generally governed by federal agencies. The Forest Service or the National Park Service or the Bureau of Land Management. So the summers I had spent high in the mountains supervising backcountry trail crews mm. and some years on, on hotshot fire crews that was very dangerous, landing us into fires with wow. helicopters and all that. And I did that for many years as well, working with fires. And then in the winter, I worked in the arts. Uh, I was 
studied a long time, many years before I got my degree even, because I just love to be in that university environment of Absolutely. learning. Um, and then eventually starting to do some of my own work in the arts. Wow, I'm just like, there's so many um, doors to actually open up. Uh, first, you know, like the the point that you were actually you were in, you were in India to. Yeah, I took three years off after I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, which my parents were not happy about <laughs> because they supported my education. Um, but I just knew before I went to graduate school, I had to, I had to find the source of creativity. I remember that's what I said. And, and then at some point I became interested in being a monk during that time. Wow. And it sounds funny, but I was interested, I explored both in Catholicism and in Buddhism. Some wow. people say, well, that's like worlds apart. To me, it wasn't. Um, It was living in community. Mm -hmm. It was devoting your life to this God, or in Buddhism, it's not God, but it's, you know, Buddha. It's mm -hmm. um, it's that beyond that, you know, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. um, but still, there was there was to me there was a lot of similarities. And so the first year I went into San Francisco to the Zen Center, mm -hmm. and then also to Tatsahara and Green Gold Zen Farm. They were offshoots of the San Francisco Zen Center. And then while I was there, someone came through that had just completed a three-month silent retreat of a Pasana retreat in Massachusetts. And I said, I have to do that. That was the longest retreat I knew about at that point. So the next year I went there, that was three months, people from around the world. It wasn't actually completely silent. Every four days you had a 10-minute interview with the okay. teacher. So you did, so they knew you weren't going off too much if you were <laughs> losing it. Um, and that went for three months, extremely powerful. Wow. And then at the end of that, I saw a picture of a man. One of the teachers just got back from India, and she had been with a what they said is realized guru. His name was Punjaji. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a devotee of Ramana Maharshi. And I saw that picture and I knew I had to go there. So I worked in, I worked during the summer to get enough money together. And then I flew to India in 1990. Wow. And he just had a few students there and met in his house. And every day we just had satsang and they were powerful. Every day was different and, That was very powerful. Then I came back to the States, and well, that's when I went. I decided to experiment in installations and theater and dance, and and using that as a transmission for some of the things I experienced. Always interested in in connecting it to spirituality and transformation in some way. That's so beautiful. So when you said like you wanted to find out what the creative core that the creative source on your journey on the quest have you found it or when you went there afterwards did, would you say you kind of like had a better understanding where this creative power where these ideas come from or like yeah what was your insight so to say well i mean the first year or two after i got back or the first year i was 
quite confused actually because <laughs> it was I remember when I was flying back to the States it was like it was a tiny pinprick of time and in that pinprick of time it was lifetimes and then how to merge when I left and how I returned and mm -hmm. when I returned how to bridge those two because that thing in between was like from a different planet. Wow. You know, India in those days was still pretty. I mean, it was, it wasn't, it was hard to connect those two lifetimes, the lifetime I had before mm -hmm. and the lifetime. Mm -hmm. And also the experiences I had with this, this master teacher. Um, so when I got back, it took a while. I mean, we can go all into that. I'm still learning about some of the things, some mm -hmm. of the positive and negative things of it. That I think it's a lifetime processing how wow. to assimilate it. Um, but it got me in touch. The one thing it did is it got me in touch with that source that's beyond the thinking mind. And I, I believe that was the most powerful thing to have the to have this thing we call God or I did projected on on another individual and having them reflected back to me as a mirror and having my own inner being vibrate mm -hmm. and and know that it's me I've just been projecting it then of course the the challenges to how to keep connected to that. And I think it's just been the last few years. I mean, we're still moving through my lifetime, but <laughs> obviously my wife that passed away five years mm -hmm. ago um, and going through that grieving period and, and the redemptive quality of coming out of that deep grief and connecting again. And now with my... I'm using art as a doorway or a portal into that source energy, like automatic writing, other things where you can open that door and continue to stay connected to it. Mm. Um, I mean, all of those are huge chapters to talk about. Absolutely. It's just so, so beautiful to listen. I think uh, Timothy and I were talking just before the we, we hit recording, we might we might need to have more than one episode to talk about all the things you want to talk about. And um, there's a few touch points I want to address. It's like, you know, I think what, what's very important is to this state of confusion when you actually are in a transformation, but also between worlds. And this can, I think you don't have to ultimately, especially when you start getting into philosophies, spirituality and meditation, that over, I think it's a very, very normal part of the whole process to get really confused, especially just reflecting on myself in the last seven years. What I noticed is, yeah, this confusion between worlds. First of all, the world, the realm you have in your mind and you reach, then you go back maybe to your home where you have been a completely different person and there's like two realities colliding. And it's very confusing sometimes, very confusing, where you also like to a level where you feel lost and you question even more yourself, who am I and what am I doing? Can you relate to this? Yeah, that whole process of 
inter integration, mm -hmm. I think is a word. Yes. And I think that just takes time. I I I really believe I I'm attracted to some of the ideas of alchemy. And in that, it's about vessels. I I love the whole terminology, the um, the prima materia, that's the original substance, and it can be gook and yuck and gray, <laughs> but those are that's what we start with, our life, the confusion of life, and and then we um we put it in containers. There's a whole process of heating. Mm -hmm. Ferment fermentation is very big. And they say you cannot speed the process up. If you speed it up too quickly, you'll go back to zero again, and you have mm. to start over. And I've, I see in hindsight in my life the value of can we... Can we be okay with the not knowing mm. and the confusion at times? I think I feel I'm better at that now because, of course, there's times as I get older, like I went blind a couple months ago in my right eye from retina detachment. How do you deal with that? You mm -hmm. know, like that. How 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 do you deal with that? And I and I believe. And by the way, I did get my eyesight back again with <laughs> surgery. Um, but that not knowing and be okay and being and accepting that it I would say that's one thing that I have learned better. I can say that I accept those states of unknowing, uncertainty easier mm -hmm. than I did when I was younger. Um, there's a sense of understanding and that has just, for me, that's just taken time and seasoning and living and making mistakes and knowing that it's going to be challenging. You're going to lose people you love. Um, and each time if I can say yes to it and not negate it, mm -hmm. but to affirm it as best as I can, it's a huge uh, deepening and then when one is I find when I'm happy now it's not as superficial if there's something deep to it um, and being sad is okay but there's a deep as Joseph Campbell talked about connecting to the ground of our being I really like that Joseph Campbell I just love a lot of his work <laughs> that's so beautifully said i think um yeah first of all i think we humans we yeah like getting how to say it's kind of like training a muscle to be comfortable with uncertainty again and if you think about how we are nowadays grew up with a very certain and linear blueprint in in, in says like okay you know four years old you go to a kindergarten after kindergarten you go to primary school then you go through high school, it's a very certain path. You know exactly what happens next year. You know exactly what you have to do. So the map is quite clear. This is okay, I think, for making sure we we en enable the society with a like fundamental 
understanding of the world and who we are. What they fail to do is then once this school is over, we actually are thrown out into the wild water. And then we are confronted with uncertainty. And this is scary for many people. And then we can like stick to this. We try as much as possible to keep everything certain. And this surrendering to this wild water of life, which it is, takes a lot of courage and accepting. As you said, that also emotions like sadness, grief, depression are as part of life as happiness, joy, love. And what you just said is so beautiful, this appreciation also like to feel sad when there is sad and to when you're happy it's not like this great Gatsby kind of feeling very like ecstatic it's like a very grounded happiness what I hear from you I think this is like it's beautiful yeah I was I was actually going through your list of the um, um where is it here in my papers uh, <laughs> The modality. The Lumi are. modality. <laughs> yeah, and going through these, and I have nearly five for all of them, except for one or two. And it's not stating like health, for instance. You know, I you know, my eye went blind and there's all these things, but what's different now than it was twenty years ago is that, that I consider myself a five, even though I'm 69, <laughs> yes. I have things going out. But right now, as I speak to you, I feel great. And, and that's that affirmation to the present moment and knowing that I can see again. I, both my eyes see. I mean, that's something we take for granted for most people, or that we can walk after we lose mm -hmm. that and come back mm -hmm. to it, it's like I'm in perfect health now. Absolutely. And certainly I don't have the memory I used to have, but I don't, it doesn't, it's okay, you know, it's, I can. Yeah, and I think it's so beautiful, just like the realization that the moment you wake up in the morning, you open your eyes, did you have this magnificent piece of hardware body, a biological body, which is like functioning It's just remarkable. It's magical. And um, oh, there was one, one thing I need to go, go back. There was one thing I remember when you were, when I was visiting your home and you were telling about your past. And I think there was one moment I wanted to kind of like highlight. And I think it was the moment you returned home after your spiritual journey and growth. And you told me like, you know, like you looked like, this, you know, very like hippie, hippie like person. And you were talking to your mom. And um, you remember that, that moment where you kind of like were in a dispute or she was like, how do you say? Yeah. Daring you. Do you remember that moment? Because I, I, I love that moment so much and your realization about what you learned about yourself. Actually, that was a landmark moment in my life. I... I think I was just going to the Zen Center in San Francisco. I had both my ears pierced. <laughs> I had longer hair, which I would be cutting off soon when I went there. Um, 
And I usually only came home once in a while for Christmas, every two or three mm -hmm. years, and came home. Uh, my parents were, still had the farm, so we were in the farmhouse, and it was, and it's a fairly middle-class farming community. And in those days, there wasn't much talk of meditation, um, and and that new age, the new age information that everybody knows about now, even in the community I mm -hmm. grew up in, none of this stuff would be that strange now. But it was then, and I think it was just before I was going to... So I came home from the West. I was working in the Western U.S., came home to Minnesota for Christmas for a couple weeks, and we were in the kitchen. I was standing by the refrigerator. My mother was on the other <laughs> side of the kitchen, and she said, said something like how how easy it is for you to come home you have your ears pierced you're going to a zen buddhist center you have all these these ideas and and then you leave and i'm here with the relatives i'm here with the people in the church they have judgments about you and you can just leave and I have to deal with that. I have to deal with the consequences. And I'm your mother. How do you think I feel about this? And I was just stuck in my Buddhist, you know, I this is <laughs> I'm so advanced, you know. And I remember we just came to a point that we were locked. Mm -hmm. I wasn't giving, she wasn't giving. And I remember we just came together, and I think we hugged, and we just cried. We were locked, and there was no movement forward. Where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. And then a day or two later, I went down to Minneapolis, which was about an hour drive from our farm, and I had a tarot reading with a woman uh, near the University of Minnesota. And she um, had this particular deck. I have it now, too. Uh, and she turned the cards over, and one of the cards, it was um, it was one of the major cards. I can't remember which one it was, but in this particular one, the symbol was a naked woman chained on a rock in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And there was a prince with a crown with wings and a sword as a rescuer coming in the sky above her, and mm -hmm. there was a dragon behind her. Wow. So these are classic archetypal themes. It's based on a Greek myth, I believe. I don't know which one, the name of it. And she said, in your, in your reading, you and your mother are both chained to that rock, mm -hmm. and there's no, res there's no rescuer here. Your, your mother's just passing on what she learned, I mean, her from her parents, from their parents, and she's just passing that on. And you think she's stuck. You're stuck in what your new idea is that you'll pass on. And there's no movement forward. And then she took the next card and flipped it up, and it was the Ace of Cups. Mm. And on this card, there's uh, like a grail cup with blue fountain of water flowing out. It's unconditional love. And she said, your mother may not be able to do this, 
you're the only savior. It's going to come from yeah, unconditional love, mm -hmm. forgiveness, and love. That was so powerful. Wow. Wow. This is, you know, like why I really wanted to talk about this moment because it's such a, I think we all, all have experienced this in one way or the other where we kind of like don't understand like whatever, you know, we meet people in our lives, they have their history, their knowledge, and we have our history and our knowledge and our current understanding of the world. And we don't do anyone, I don't know, any benefit of trying to impose what we think or believe. Because as you said, I feel like also like to your question at the very beginning, you asked me, yeah, I don't think we will ever know, for example. And is it so important? Or are we actually at the moment all that really is important that we just can see each other and appreciate each other as we are? I agree. And I think um, I remember this <laughs> very vividly because when you told me this story, I think I was 14 or 15 and I was kind of like confronting my father. I mean, he's he he grew up as Christian. He's not as, how do you say, like a very strong believer, but he still believes in heaven and, and, and Jesus Christ. And I remember yeah, me as a 14, 15-year-old rebel, like confronting him, like, how can you believe in God and then in Jesus? And like, this is, you know, we have science. And, you know, at that point, I mean, my father, looking back, he actually took it very calmly. It just, yeah, and he didn't really try to, he, he didn't really respond to my things, but I was so emotional. I think there was so much anger within me because back then I think I was confused myself, to be honest. I was like confused in the sense that despite all the amazing things that science has enabled to, us to understand and see, it, doesn't it hasn't helped us to understand our connection with this world and the universe and nature itself. And I think this confusion got me really angry. Yeah. Oh. And I think, yeah, that's why this story is so beautiful. I think we all have had this in our lives, one way or the other with our parents. And it's so, it's, it's so widespread in politics too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I definitely keep an eye on uh, the U.S. politics mm -hmm. and the fanaticism on both sides and each one stuck in their belief system mm -hmm. without a give and take. Um, I think some people like uh, Robert Kennedy is 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 trying to open the discussion up on both sides, which I I really admire. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. We definitely have to do more episodes because Timothy, that's like one thing I remembered is like just like your beautiful way. You have such a holistic view on everything, and I think maybe it comes with your experience, and you have been trying many things in your life tried many different philosophies and teachings so there's two one, one more question before actually or do you have a question for me you already threw one question at me do you did you prepare another one yeah the main one and that was actually this so imagine this there is a new world order <laughs> okay the new world order and we have the chance to begin new mm. And they're looking for a leader. Mm -hmm. 
like an emperor or some someone with wisdom, charisma, guidance that can begin this new world order. And they have chosen you. Mm. Wow. And I would like you to, to let me know what your three priorities would be mm. for this new world order. The people would like to have some guidance. Um, any thoughts on that? Wow, Timothy, you just uh, <laughs> threw a big one at me. <laughs> I love it. It's a great question. It's a fantastic question. Well, now I have to actually think about this more. I'm actually very, <laughs> this is a, threw me a bit off. It's a very big question, but a beautiful question. Uh, I think the very first the very first thing is which hmm. the very first principle I would think of is to make our society and how we live the centerpiece of what we do the principle that's all built on is to live in accordance with nature what does it mean to us? It means to understand our nature. Once we understand our nature and how basically our waves are working, we can live much better with, in, an, in accordance with natures of, the, of other people. And we can live much better in, the, in accordance with nature, with the universe. Because once we understand our nature, we know how this synchrony of this world works. And once we understand how we can work with the flow of this world, things balance each other out quite naturally. This doesn't mean there won't be evil or misfortune. We just know that they will be part of the world and will be much quicker to realize what is evil and what is misfortune. So actually I would reduce the three principles to this one. And based on this, we can derail techniques to find our nature. And then we can build schools, philosophies of school or philosophies that would teach us various ways and we can choose which one we like. But all in all, they always come down to this very, very principle. And if we get this right, I'm so 100% certain that the direction we're going to uh, will be the most peaceful and loving future we can imagine. So again, summarize that. Mm -hmm. our so I would reduce from three principles, I would just boil it down to one principle. To live in accordance with nature. And this means your nature, the nature of, of other people, and the nature of the universe. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I like it. We'll keep you there. Perfect. We'll keep you as the emperor. <laughs> Thank you, Timothy. Beautiful. I'm, yeah, that's uh, actually the, this reminded me the other day I applied for a program. Um, it's called the Earthians. And it's a new program that kind of like rethinks the, 
the nature of businesses in the world. Going back actually to role models like Patagonia, which understood that businesses are part of this world and the role of a business is to also give back to their society, to an environment. And there was one question which I loved answering was, imagine there was a zombie apocalypse and what would you do? And um, yeah, I, I went quite quite crazy. But I think, yeah, I, I love these kind of questions. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. So um, we're coming now. It's uh, soon to the one hour mark. There's two things I would like still to do with you. And I, I know right now we have to do more episodes. I just, there's so much into it. And also just like, I love, love talking to you. It's so beautiful. And I do too. <laughs> so two things um, we're going to end. So first we're going to do a Lumi check-in. So I asked, I asked you to do a Lumi check-in before, and we're going to talk about the, yeah, maybe the highest and lowest score. And then the green lights. And then at the very end, I would love you to read a poem from you that you picked. And um, yeah, let's start with the Lumi check-in. I think you did it today. I did it myself. I did. Yes. I did it this morning. Um, so. How did it went for uh, you? How did you feel? How, do, how was, was it? Yeah. How? Tell me about the experience. How was it for you to kind of like um, do a reflection based on this modality? Well, it's just like our talk. It went all over. I have a couple pages of writings <laughs> on it. <laughs> well, the circle with, you know, career, creativity, family, mm -hmm. do you want me to talk so, about that or not? So if you want to, so here's the thing. Um, normally, I would go through each category and we can talk about it in length and there would be like another one or two hours Hour. so yes. you if you want like so tell me what was your lumi score for this check-in so your average and then if you want to you can pick two categories you would like to talk about uh, you mean do i add all the numbers up yes you add them all up and then you divide it just to the average oh i didn't do that <laughs> that's that's fine um, you can, uh, they were all fives except for sleep mm -hmm. <laughs> and family. <laughs> and the, one was a three and one was a four. The rest were fives. Okay. Let's calculate this quickly for you. So we got seven fives. We got one three. Yes. And one four. Four. Wow. That's a good, with 4.66. 4.66, that's a that's your Lumi score for this check-in, your overall feeling out of five. Uh, tell me it again, I'll write 4. it down. 4.67. 4. 4.67, okay. Wow, yeah, so do you want to share first about um, yeah, your two categories you would like to explore and why you scored it the way you did? Oh, let's talk about love. <laughs> All right. I, I did a five there. And I thought about that a bit. I'm not in a relationship. As you know, my wife died six years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm open to a relationship. But I feel totally in love with life, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it. not mis it's not dependent on a, on a physical relationship in terms of intimacy mm -hmm. with, say, a woman. 
and yet it's five. And that, uh, yesterday I took a group up on our hiking trails, which, as you know, goes into the rainforest. We have about three hours of hiking trails and goes into thousand-year-old trees. Wow. And the whole land was singing. It was just sparkling and communicating. And all those trees are my friends, and I have relationships with them. And and it was it was speaking to me. And and so even though I don't live with somebody else, I'm I'm just so in love with life right now. With okay, you, people would say you're 69, you can retire. To me, life is just starting. <laughs> yes, like this is like this is. I just got done with my education. Now is when I can start to share things with people. Um, so of course, learning is number five now for me. Uh, so yeah, I, I that was really nice to explore this love because we have a preconceived idea. Some people would say, well, I'm not in a relationship. Mm -hmm. I could be better. And I'm just going, I'm just totally in love with, with life, you know. To do this with you is just fantastic. I couldn't imagine anything different or better. Um, what else? I mean, the opposite would be something very practical, like sleep. That was mm -hmm. my lowest three. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm a good sleeper, but I wake up during the night and I move around. And ideally, I'd love to go to sleep and wake up in the morning and have a good sound sleep. But it's not a big concern with me. Um, that's the way it's always been with me. It's the way my body works, the metabolism. Beautiful. I just like would like to comment on the on the love point because this is so 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 powerful that you mentioned this. You know, like people when they think about love, the first thing it's so such an how do you say yeah it's such a dogma that they get to, the first thing you think about like am i in a relationship do i have someone in life whereas love is so much more it can be as you said just being in love with life being in love with creating something being in love with just experiencing this multi-dimensional moment from moment and i think this is of course this is the beauty what i always see with lumi And the categories, it's a mirror. You look at the word and it comes back to you. Whatever you see there, there's no definition what love is. I don't, there's nothing to tell you. It's up to you. It's a mirror. It's a reflection. And it throws back whatever you think about it right now. Ah, it's beautiful. I remember one of the dialogues I had with a man I, I was trained in shamanism with and he said eros is a quality in life and for him eros was spirit moving through matter mm. that life vibrates that you can have an eros with a tree and with nature it's not just eroticism it's that juice that Absolutely. sparkling zeal for life And this is also, I think, also another really important aspect. Once you actually learn 
to experience experiences love for life. Just like this inner love, loving yourself as well. It starts all with that. I think this is also a much more healthy foundation to for any relationship in the end of the day. Because if you're, I mean, this is for me now, my understanding, my concept, but uh, I would argue that if you're happiness or like your I actually would nowadays use instead of using say happiness I would say tranquility if your tranquility in life is so dependent on having someone in, in, in life then this is a heavy dependency and it's not internal it's very external yeah that's my my 50 cents to this I agree beautifully said <laughs> and is there any 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 other other category you would like to share otherwise I will share some my thoughts no, I mean, I mean, family it was mm -hmm. four. That was the other lowest, lower one. And I lost both my parents in the last mm -hmm. four or five months. Mm -hmm. One could say, oh, it's, it's, but still, um, that's life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm thankful for my brothers that are alive. And, and of course, I could say family is you, you know, is that talking about, is that talking about a traditional sense of family with lineage and ancestry and all that? Or is it a spiritual connection Absolutely. with our soul family? And for me, if I use that, then it's a five wow. for sure. Beautiful, he said. I never heard the concept of soul family. That's, yes, it's very beautiful. And um, yeah, I agree. For me, so my, my score was actually this week was 3. Eight nine. It's a bit lower than the previous check-in, but for me, as a you know, like when I look at this and people ask me, like you know, don't you get this scoring? No, it's like just like a snapshot. It's just like for me understanding how is my moment right now, and it kind of reflects most of the time how I really feel. And like my lowest score was also sleep. It's a two actually, and mainly because I just you know I've been here in Helsinki for one and a half weeks, and I forgot how much it takes from you as well these long days and no night wow. it's like because like your body at night i really have troubles falling asleep in the evening because normally i'm an early bird i go to bed at nine wake up at five four sometimes and and here in helsinki there's like there's so much energy stored in your body that even by 11 you just not you don't get tired but the problem is i still have to get up early because my current job kind of requires to be available early mornings <laughs> so i have this little bit of lack of sleep which also affects a little bit my mental health right now which i noticed but it's not nothing severe just notice when i have little sleep in the morning my inner shadow is very strong <laughs> so I have to put much more effort to fight my inner shadow and when I talk about my inner shadow it's all the, the voices that kind of like try to keep you in bed yeah I know those too <laughs> but I have a beautiful set of tools to combat them and uh, I know um, it's all in your mind in the end of the day so this is my my lowest score is sleep and my highest my highest score is um, yeah Friends and creativity by far. Creativity working on the podcast, working on the Lumi app itself. It has been such a beautiful, so many beautiful moments of flow where it just it feels so natural and effortless. And friends coming back to Helsinki, it's I'm just so grateful 
for all the people I've I've here in this town. And then I actually wrote the day in my green lights as well, and having people like you, Timothy, which yeah, part of a soul family where I just today I was sitting, you know, before I, in the morning I did the meditation, I drank my coffee, and I was like, wow, I'm gonna have this beautiful conversation soon with Timothy who lives in Australia right now and I met just a few, one or two months ago. How amazing is life? And this just, yeah, yeah. This is my, my Lumi insights of this week. Mm, thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> and uh, so what are, your, what are your green lights? What did you write down? Oh, list here all the events, encounters, activities that propelled you forward in life. I just wrote, well, I kind of wrote down highlights of, that was hard to do because there's so many. So <laughs> anyway, these are some words I wrote down, starting from the beginning, farm, Ah, farm, movement, west, when I moved to the west, mountains, art education, forest service, fires, trails, Buddhism, India, teaching, moving to Australia, marriage, Europe, uh, Takatina, which I studied for a while, illness, grief, death, that's with my wife, resurrection, wow. painting, sh shamanism, Creativity, creative writing, sculpture, soundscapes, and now sharing with people. So it's a little bit different than what you asked for, but that's no, what that's came fine. to me. That's beautiful. Again, in the end, it's all about what you make of it. And if you, this is what you make of mm. it, it's just right. Thank you. And then I have a whole other page <laughs> that I went into. <laughs> that was the beginning. Oh, that's so fantastic. I would love to go through all the pages with you. Um, oh, yeah, there's another hour episode <laughs> with hour. this next page. <laughs> yeah. So I think I promised and I was asking you to pick one poem to share. Uh, because okay. I remember, yeah, both times I've been, I was at your place and you read me, you read some of your poems to me. I found them just so heartwarming and inspirational and especially how you also like how you read them it's also like how always about the, the reader as well how you kind of communicate the words and i would love you to share one poem i would love to thank you actually i took a book publishing class this last week for four days wow so i'm one of my projections is by the end of the year i'll have a 600 page hard book hardcover book published with my Poems, short stories, and fairy tales. Wow. So I'm going to read you two that I wrote a couple months ago. One is extremely short, and it ties into the next one. Mm -hmm. the short, this one is called The Cosmos. Let's go. Fastness. It goes so fast. And slowness. It goes so slow. But the in-betweenness, between the period and the first word, 
is where the cosmos begins. Wow. And this one came from one of the classes I was um, leading uh, in terms of creativity. And, and I asked the students to describe what your heart is. Tell me what heart means to you. And I asked people to kind of eliminate all their conditioning, what they've heard or thought about what the heart is, and just start writing. And this is what I came up, because I do all the exercises myself. <laughs> How I describe the heart. I thought my heart was mine, shaped like a triangle, red, pulsing, made for Valentine's Day and Paris. Love nights and formed by disappointments and obsessions, broken, shattered as a wine glass slipping off a counter and reconstructed again to be transformed into ecstasy or damaged for the next encounter. Or blissed by gurus and saints, charity and angels, enlightenment, and perhaps escapism, leaving the earth for heavenly encounters or merging in the ocean of non-existence. But when I looked, this is what I found. The Milky Way, the celestial web, collaboration, consideration, currents, cosmic dark matter filling the space between the stars, arteries, ports where ships take refuge, a rocking chair, the Venus. The extension of source, its sound speaker, circles and organic lines of violet, pinks, and pastels, filaments and threads leading everywhere and being pulsed and pulsing, lakes and streams to the ocean and then to clouds and then raining to the lakes. Telephone and electric lines on wooden poles meandering across the landscape of the cosmos, carrying voices of light. And finally, Cupid's arrows striking everywhere, you, me, and everything in between. Wow. Thank you, Timothy. Um, again, again, they're so beautiful. And I think, um, thank you. And I hope actually maybe this podcast inspired you that you share also recordings of your poems because I think, as I said, the written word is one part, but actually it's almost if you find the right voice that carries those words and you have the right voice with the right soul and heart, they become even more magical. And I would love you to, yeah. This is just, yes, beautiful, beautiful to listen to your poems. That's all I'm saying. Thank you. I may do that. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. All right, Timothy, we are now reaching the one hour, 15 minutes mark. I think we have to wrap it up here, unfortunately, yeah. because I think <laughs> there's so much more we could talk about. But I know this is not the end. It's just the beginning of a beautiful 
series we will have talk about many things. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I'm looking forward already. Perfect. It was a delight. Thank you for inviting me and for all your wisdom. And I always learn so much from you as well. Oh, thank you, Timothy. It's like it means a lot to me. And for me, yeah, it's just an honor and a pleasure. And just listening to your words, especially, I just so appreciate listening to life stories from people who have seen much more than I have because there's so much to learn always. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank All you. Right. Hey, just before you leave, um, I forgot to actually mention Timothy's contact details. So if you're interested to read more or learn more about Timothy and his art, you can visit his website, sonnets.me, that's S-O-N-N-E-T-S dot me. Or you can find him on Instagram, Timothy Dears, so his first and last name together. But no worries, I will link it in the show notes Again, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.